Well, good morning. Good to see you. My name is Pastor Sean. If you don't know who I am, that's fantastic. So uh, I'm glad to be here. It's an honor to open the word and preach to you guys. And, and hopefully we'll learn together this morning. So get your Bible out. All right, we're going to look at First Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, do me a favor, take that one with you. Okay, we would love for you to have a copy of the word of God. We have been meditating our way through 2 Corinthians. Corinthians this summer, and uh, we've got a couple more weeks, and then we're going to launch a new series in the fall, and uh, we've got three campuses as a church now, so we've got a great series planned. I'm super excited. I want to introduce you to a couple guys that are here this morning, make sure you know who they are. Uh, Lamont Preston, wave your hand, stand up. All right, he's one of the elders at Coastal. Awesome man of God, and James Riddick, and his wife Pauline, and... uh, yeah, James. And so, listen, I, when, uh, if you come to our We Are Coastal class that I teach, uh, one of the things that I say is the strength of Coastal Community Church is what you don't see. Uh, it really, really is the elder ministry. These are men of God that want to, that really what they care about at Coastal is that the church is healthy in unity and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is taught in purity and that all that we do with our time, talent, and treasure is used in such a way to make Christ famous. That really is their only agenda. And so, uh, uh, these are godly, godly men, and uh, they are here to help you and to work with you at the Gloucester campus. And they're here to field any complaints you have this morning. So give it to them, all right? And uh, that's what they're here for. No, they're great men, and, and they just wanted to worship with you this morning. And uh, I, too, am recovering. You know, Pastor David is recovering from felling a tree. Um, I'm recovering as well. I've got some aches and pains this morning. Uh, my family uh, rediscovered the we this week, all right? Right, and uh, we've had it for a while, and then we hadn't used it in years, and we got it out, and we did Wii Sports, and it took me about eight innings to realize I really didn't have to do a full thing to throw. You could actually just begin to do this, and that worked just as well. How many of y'all injured yourself playing the Wii, right? The first time, right in here, man, I'm hurting, so... uh yeah, we sports. This morning I want to talk about uh, servant leadership, and uh, you know, a, a church, any really biblical leadership is always um, servant leadership. It's always, and it was a model. Oh my goodness, they even have a countdown monitor here. It's, uh, I can't run from the countdown monitor. So. Uh, Thirty-seven minutes, I got. All right, let's go. Um, Man, I'm sad I noticed that. Uh, so now I feel convicted. But um, yeah, so my uh, I, I here I'm not the best servant leader to be honest with you. And and there's nothing like you know one of the things I say a lot is that marriage is not about your happiness. It's about your holiness, right? So there's nothing like a godly spouse to reveal your weaknesses and your need for Christ. And um, and so the way I serve in my house is I tend to announce my servant leadership, right? And so uh, my wife's love language is acts of service. She loves when I do little things around the house, uh, uh, cleaning up dishes, folding laundry, and I hate doing that stuff. I What comes easily for me is words of affirmation. I just want to tell her how great she has been. You're awesome. But she doesn't want to hear that. She just wants me to do, right? And so, and so what I tend to do is when I do, I announce it, right? So, honey, doing the dishes, just letting you know, I'm serving you. And uh, that doesn't fly well. But what we're going to find this morning 
is that Paul is now addressing in this church of Corinth a minority of people who have bought into the super apostles or these false apostles uh, and, and bought into their leadership and influenced the church towards disunity and brokenness. And, and I really love the Philippians 3 verse that we put up this morning during All I Have is Christ because when all we have is Christ, then what we do is we function in unity together for the good of the gospel. All right. And so the super apostles are kind of like me in my home announcing how they're serving. And the apostle Paul never wanted to get into that. He didn't lead this church this way. But this morning, he feels the need to defend his apostleship. And it's, uh, it's honestly, it's painful for him. He, do, he doesn't want to do this, uh, but he has to defend the ministry and defend the church. And so this morning, we get into Paul's defense of his leadership. All right. So point number one that I want you to see this morning, when it comes to leading his church, Paul is clear that he is zealous for the gospel above all. He's zealous for the gospel. He's not zealous for his name. He's not zealous for making money. He's not zealous for, you know, any kind of notoriety. And by the way, we live in a in a weird culture in America where in a Christian culture, it's sometimes as ministries grow, it's sometimes difficult to tell if the leader of those ministries is in it for the zeal of the gospel or in it for themselves, right? And so, and, and that's kind of this weird, unique culture that we live in. But Paul, uh, Paul here says he's in letter A, he's got a divine jealousy. Paul is committed to the purity of the gospel. Check this out in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Paul says, man, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Now, uh, I'm actually going to come back to this verse because Paul then takes a rabbit trail. He's an excellent preacher in that he has no problem tracing a rabbit trail. Okay. And so he takes a rabbit trail and then he comes back to this later in the chapter. So he says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. Verse two, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. In other words, I want you, church, to stand before the God of the universe one day, holy, righteous, and pure. He's got a divine jealousy. He's passionate for protecting the church for the cause of the gospel. In fact, when I introduce these elders, that's what I mean. They are concerned about, man, we are growing and developing a healthy church so that we as a church will stand pure before the Lord. Letter B, Paul says, he's concerned about the church being deceived. And so these false apostles have come in and, and they're teaching something. And there's some really fascinating things here. Verse three says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, I want you to think about this for a minute. Paul is likening these super apostles inside their church to, to Satan himself deceiving Eve at the fall in the garden. That is the kind of divine jealousy he has. He says, I am I, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts, by the way, let me pause here for a minute. And, and Nate hit on this last week and he did a really good job. He pointed some things out about taking thoughts captive. I've never thought through before. He did a great sermon, but, but you know, he, and, and I spent time on Yorktown talking about, man, so much of our spiritual journey is right here, right? In our minds and what we choose to fixate on, what we choose to meditate on, what we choose to think about over and over and over. And Paul says, I'm concerned that your thoughts will be led astray 
from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so Paul's spun up because he wants his church to be protected around the gospel, letter C. And so he's zealous for the purity of the gospel, all right? He's zealous for the purity of the gospel. That's letter C. Now let's look at the verse here. Verse four, 2 Corinthians 11, verse four. Paul says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or, and I want you to hear this. This is a fascinating tack on here by the Apostle Paul. Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Listen, if you want to spin up the Apostle Paul Make an addition to the gospel. Man, he gets really spun up in many of his letters about the purity of the gospel. He says, we should not tolerate the preaching of another Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. So when when Paul's talking about Jesus, he's talking about the incarnate Jesus, the the God-man, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. I was was prepping yesterday for some of our deacon training, and I know Pastor David's training some deacons here on on the Gloucester campus, and I was was reading the section on Jesus and who he is and that he is the God-man. And one of the things that fascinates me about the risen Christ is that Jesus Christ is going to have a glorified human body for all of eternity. That's how much he loves us, right? And so a different Jesus, the God man who who died for our sin and he and it was a substitutionary death where God poured out his wrath and his hatred on sin and he bodily rose from the grave and he will have this glorified body for all of eternity which is our hope in the resurrection of the dead. And this God man Jesus is the only mediator between God and man and the only way that we can reconnect with our creator God is to repent of our sins and to believe in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ alone, finished. And Paul says, don't let anyone come in here and preach a different Jesus. And he says, be careful of a different spirit when the gospel is preached, a spirit of disunity, a a spirit of arrogance, a, a, a spirit that lacks grace for the sinner and a spirit that lacks shepherding for the believer. I want you to hear me on that. See, a church that understands the gospel understands we're all a broken mess. So a lost person, a sinner, can come into our, into our corporate worship and start wherever their starting point is. And we welcome them because we want to introduce them to the gospel. But once they're a believer, we, as leaders in the church, we provide shepherding for the believer, which means encouragement. It means sometimes challenging, which may even mean church discipline. It's the riverbanks of grace for the lost and shepherding for the believer. If it's a different spirit, it's a different gospel. It's another gospel. In the book of Galatians, Right, A lot of y'all know the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, the church Paul planted in Galatia, the false teachers came in and they, these false teachers were trying to persuade this church in Galatia that in order to be a Christian meant that you repent of sin and you believe in Jesus and you had to be circumcised, right? 
And Paul gets so spun up about this that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 12, and I don't have it on the screen, okay? But in Galatians 5, verse 12, when he's talking about circumcision, and those of you, hopefully you know what I'm talking about, he says, I wish they would go all the way. I'll let you figure that out, right? Some, so we've tra- we, we soften it, really, right? Some, some of your English churches say, I wish they would mutilate themselves. He's angry about this, right? And we've, we've kind of dumbed it down in English, but it's earthy and real. And Paul says, man, don't be adding to the gospel. Listen, the gospel is repent and believe in Christ. It is not also then be baptized, And it is not now you go to church, and it is not now you give your money, and it is not now you go on a mission trip, and it is not now that you do good works, and it is not now that we pursue social justice, and it is not added that we feed the hungry or we give to the poor. I want you to hear me on this. These are the overflows of the gospel. These are what we call the gospel touches. And when we have been radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, these things should overflow out of our hearts, but they are not the gospel. And Paul gets spun up about the purity of the gospel. And the gospel is we are a broken mess. And by the way, if you're here this morning, you don't yet know the God of the universe. The gospel is incredibly simple and it's incredibly difficult. The simplicity of it is, God loves you. He cares about you. He's holy. You're a sinner. You're broken. You can't have a relationship with him. You can't earn your way there. You can't baptize your way there. You can't give enough money to get there. You can't go on enough missions trip to get there. The only way that you can reconnect with the God of the universe is when you say, you know what? I'm a broken, sinful mess. And what my sin deserves, I could never pay for. But God, because he loves you and he's gracious and he's merciful, he wrapped his son in flesh. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He died on the cross. He took your punishment for your sin and my sin on the cross. They laid him in a grave. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And listen, I talked about this last week in New York, in New York town. If you believe the gospel, you believe really foolish stuff. So let's stop going out of these doors and acting like the Christians are in the majority. The Christians are weird. Okay. If you're a Christian this morning, you believe weird stuff and you have to believe to these weird tenets of the faith that a dead guy came back to life. And as I was driving up here today and I was thinking about my wee injury and I thought, man, I'm getting older and the body's breaking down. How glad I am that my God cared enough to send his son to overcome the grave. Cause one day this body's going to get laid in the grave. And my only hope is that a dead guy came back to life. Amen. And so the, the gospel is really simple and it's really difficult. It's simple. Repent and believe in the gospel. The difficulty is it's humbling. You have to humble yourself to receive the gospel, to say, man, I'm a sinner. But if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, it is super easy to go, you know what? I'm a mess and I need to be saved from my sin. Don't leave here today without knowing the gospel. And Paul, as he's dealing with these Galatians, this is what he says in Galatians 1. He says, man, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then he kind of pauses in verse 7. He says, wait a minute, not that there is another one. But there, is, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul cares deeply about the purity of the gospel. Amen, church? 
We at Coastal, we need to raise up a generation. For, if this church is going to last beyond our generation of people who say, you know what, we care deeply about the, the tenets of the gospel. We don't change them. We're zealous to protect them. Number two, Paul, servant leadership. Number two, he says, I served you, Corinthians, with meekness, humility, and love. With meekness, humility, and love. Meekness, you probably heard this said before, is strength under control. Okay, And so Paul's like, I, I have strength. I could have boasted about the strengths and the gifts that God has given me, but I didn't lead that way. Verse 5, he says, indeed, of 2 Corinthians, indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to the super apostles. Verse 6, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. So in other words, Paul saying, I'm self-aware of my strengths and my weakness. I, I could brag about what, what, who, how God has made me. And, and by the way, Paul's very aware that both his strengths and his weaknesses are gifts from the Lord, all right? So the next time you're fretting about the things that you're not, like, man, I can never do that because I got these weaknesses. Listen, the Lord gave you your weaknesses as well. And what we're going to learn next week is the weaknesses are a gift to you to brag about the power and the glory of Christ. And Pastor David's going to bring that to you, all right? And so, and so Paul, meekness is understanding both your strengths and being humble and thankful for your strengths and also being uh, humble for your weaknesses, right? And so Paul says, I've led this church with humility. And so he, he demonstrated, let her be, it's humility demonstrated. Paul's desires for the gospel to be successful. And he says this in verse seven. And this is what he says. He said, did I commit a sin and humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. Now, let me, let me pause here for a minute. Uh, in Greek culture, um, and it's very different really in, in, in our mindset in American culture. Uh, in, in American culture, it's kind of, uh, there's been a shift, I think, in thinking that if, if a pastor or a preacher makes too much money, it, we look at it on shame, and I don't think that's wrong. Like, I, I think, that, I don't know what that number is, but there's a limit, right? But, but in Greek culture, the more that a, a teacher taught, the more are, are charged to teach, the more the, the culture recognized him as a great teacher. And so the Corinthians thinking was, man, the super apostles were saying, he didn't charge y'all any money. Like a great, we all know that great teachers charge a lot of money. That kind of goes against American thinking, right? But, but their thinking was, man, he'd be great if he, if he charges a lot of money. And Paul's saying, right, he says, so verse seven, he says, because I preached the gospel to you for free of charge, that's your, that's your accusation against me? I mean, now in hindsight, it looks silly, right? I came and I, I, I started the church for free. And, he, and what he says in verse eight, essentially he got supported by other churches. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them. Uh, in order to serve you. Verse nine, and when I was with you, I was in need, but I didn't burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening, burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions 
of Achaia. Now, listen, I, there's plenty of places I could show you where Paul teaches that your leaders uh, are deserving of a good wage, right? And, and really any workman in the workplace is worthy of a fair wage. But Paul's concern here is about the establishment of the local ter- church. He said, I could have taken a wage from the local church, but I, I came with support and I was self-supporting. Listen, establishing a church And this is where I'm going to make this practical for a minute, okay? Establishing a church is difficult, it's sacrificial, and it's time-consuming, all right? I want you to hear that again. Establishing a church is difficult, it's sacrificial, and it's time-consuming. Why did I say that? Well, some of you have been at Coastal for as almost as long as I've been here, almost 20 years, right? And, and there's some of you in this room that remember for eight years, this church was in Grafton High School doing setup and teardown, pushing chairs, setting up stage. It, it was hundreds and hundreds of volunteer hours every single month just to pull off the corporate worship service, okay? And, and during that time in the school, Coastal did two fundraisers, all right? And this goes to what Pastor David preached about a couple weeks ago. So the scriptures teach us there's a tithe of the local, uh, to the local church, a 10% that we give to our local church. And then there's offerings and there's these sacrificial offerings that raise a need. And so some of y'all go way back and you're a part of two fundraisers to help us get in our first building. And then guess what? We, we outgrew that building. And, and, uh, and so we needed to do another fundraiser. So many of you here were part of that, right? And so we did a third fundraiser over and above uh, our giving and uh, our tithe in order to, to get into the Yorktown campus, right? Well, guess what? In the last 18 months, actually less than a year, I mean, your official kickoff was a year ago, Coastal's launched two campuses, right? And, and we're nurturing these campuses so that they'll grow for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. And, and, and I want you to know something, your elders right now are praying through, man, is it time to do a fundraiser and give time, talent, and treasure to sacrifice so that Gloucester will have a permanent asset, a permanent building, a tool to do ministry. Okay. You guys excited about that? I I hope so, but that's going to be the prayer. And Paul says, man, we make sacrifices in order for the furthering of the gospel. And why do we do that? We do that because of the gospel. Why would we even, why would Pastor Sean and the elders stand in front of three campuses and say, I'm asking three campuses to sacrifice for the cause of the kingdom so that our Gloucester campus can be even more successful with the gospel going forward? The reason we would do that is there are unbelievers in Gloucester that haven't yet heard the gospel, and we want their most important need, which is their eternal destiny, to be solved. In Christ, and we believe the local church holds that incredible message. And we talked about this this morning as we prayed together with the worship team. We talked about how I think it's 2 Corinthians 7 where Paul says, man, we house this incredible truth in broken jars of clay. We want to give away the gospel. Amen, church? And we want to do it right here. 
And then the overflows of the gospel, the things that the gospel touches, that, that there'll be hungry people in Gloucester that get fed as we give them physical food, and there'll be marriages that are saved, and there'll be addictions that are broken, and there'll be children that are raised in the Lord, and we could go on and on and on with the gospel touches. And Paul says, I sacrificed so that the church would flourish. And why did he do it? What motivated Paul? And he says this, his motive, letter C, was love. His motive is love. 2 Corinthians eleven eleven. He says, why? Because I, because I don't love you? That was the accusation. Paul, I don't, I, I, God knows I love you. God knows I love you. Two weeks ago, I got to, um, I had somebody ask me this, so it's a good, good place anyway. Somebody asked me how the Deer Park campus was going. I know you guys have been praying about that. You've been hearing about that. And we just launched it a couple weeks ago. And it's going great. And uh, you know, I think we've been running right around 200 people. But here was the exciting thing to me is our first week I went down and I worshiped with him. And, and one of the longtime Deer Park members who had just recently voted to dissolve and become a campus of Coastal, um, as we were, had the wor- first worship service, a longtime Deer Park member comes to me. And he goes, man, I haven't seen this many people in this building in decades, and I'm just so excited. And why was he excited? He was excited because he loves what Christ loves. And what does Christ love? Christ loves people, <laughs> and he loves his local church. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to see a building that's empty. He wants to see a building full of life and full of people that are being reached with the gospel. And so Paul says, I love you. Why does he love you? Because he loves what Christ loves. He loves the local church. All right, number three. Number three, deceivers. Paul says deceivers are often subtle. Second Corinthians eleven thirteen. So he's back to the, he's now going to address these super apostles, these false apostles. He says, we have to be careful with deceivers because they're often subtle. Verse 13, for such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then he quickly, like he did earlier in the passage, he goes to Satan himself. He says, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Listen, Paul's very clear. Deceivers always use disguises. Deceivers always use disguises, just like Satan, right? Satan attempting to deceive Eve or Satan attempting to deceive people. He looks similar to Christ. The angel, he's like an angel of light. I, I want to tell you something. I, I get really, really nervous when I hear what I would call an American celebrity pastor. And you guys know who they are and they're easy to find on the internet and those kind of things. And, and they're talking about a key doctrine, a key historical doctrine of the church, something the church has held on to for 2,000 years. And around this key historical doctrine, they get what I call slippery, right? I, I can't really tell what they're saying. They just, they, you know, or they're on CNN and somehow their platform is raised to where they get to talk on CNN, which you know you're not going to get conservative Christian questions there, right? And on the CNN hot seat, they get really slippery around the answer or around a particular sin that the church is held to. And whenever that happens, man, I get really concerned because I'm like, deceivers always use disguises. Like if you're on CNN, you know what questions you're going to get, just say it and take the whatever you're going to get. Like, but don't stand there and be slippery, right? Because letter B, the other thing Paul says is deceivers are subtle, 
And they're also, so not only do they use disguises, but they're subtle. And, he, and he's concerned, and, and this, is, I think, as a church, we have to be concerned. When you're around a, someone who's claiming to be a Christian and they're being slippery around key doctrines, my question is why? Because a lot of times the worst deceivers come from within. And I think as coastal, what I want to see us grow to is to be astute and attuned to, hey, not everybody that, that's a celebrity that raises their hand is proclaiming Christ is necessarily articulate and clear on the message of the gospel. Finally, and that's the point four, Paul defends his ministry uh, by reminding that like Christ, okay, as an overflow to knowing Christ, he has been called, point four, to be a suffering servant. He's been called to be a suffering servant. So the super apostles are championing their great works and all the things that God is doing for them. Paul doesn't go that route. Paul says, I'm a suffering servant, just like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the first thing he does, letter A, and I love this because I love sarcasm, okay? Paul is very sarcastic. Letter A, sarcasm, he uses sarcasm to defend his ministry. Now, this is where Paul gets back to verse one, all right? So we took this little rabbit trail about the purity of the gospel and deceivers and things like that. Now he comes back to defending his ministry. So just to remind you, for 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Oh, wait a minute. Please do bear with me. Okay, so now he comes back in verse 16, ready? And he says this. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. So he's like, super apostles have been boasting. Think of me as a fool if you want to. Let me boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourself. So he's being very sarcastic. Like, you you know, bear with these fools because you guys have got it all figured out. All right. Verse 20, for you bear, if you bear it, if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts airs on or strikes you in the face. To my shame, must I say, I, were, I was too weak for that, all right? And so Paul didn't take any money from him. He didn't take advantage of him. And he says, so just bear with me a little foolishness, all right? Now, the super apostles were really concerned about credentials, right? Man, do, is he this, 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 and this? And so Paul says, let me give you my credentials. First, ancestry, right? Apparently, ancestry was important to the super apostles. And so in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 21, Paul goes on to say, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. So Paul says, if you want all the earthly ancestry, which means nothing to me, I have all that. But he said, let's be clear here. A leader of a church is a sacrificial servant to Christ and to the people. So he says, now I want to talk to you about what it really looks like to be a servant in Christ's church. And this is what he says. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. I'm going to talk like a madman for a minute with far more labors and far more imprisonments, with countless beasts. So the super apostles are, are living it up on the church. 
But Paul says, listen, I beatings, often near death. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night. A day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in a city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and in hardship through many sleepless nights. Listen, if you serve in the church of Christ, there are going to be times that you, it keeps you awake at night. Right, elders? Yeah, if you love this church, there's moments you're like, I can't sleep, man. There's something, there's a situation, there's disunity, there's the person I love, you know, this person I want to serve, there's a question I have, and it will keep you awake at night. If you're a small group leader, then you're serving that small group. There's going to be times it keeps you awake at night. If you're leading a ministry up here in Gloucester, there's going to be times that it keeps you awake at night. Listen, don't step into leadership and think it's a cush job. Now, we have our volunteer fair coming up on the 13th of February, I want, just September, I want everybody to sign up. Listen, it's difficult, all right? It's difficult. Paul says sleepless nights, right? In toil and hardship through sleepless nights and hunger and thirst without food and cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there's the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all of the churches. Like, I love the church. And listen, you're here this morning because you love the church. You wouldn't be here otherwise. But the leadership in the church is servant leadership. And so servants of Christ, letter C, glory in their weakness. Servants of Christ, glory in their weakness. 2 Corinthians 11, and this gets into next week's sermon, so I'm not going to preach it, but this is what Paul's going. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. See the stark difference between the apostle Paul and the super apostles? The super apostles will tell everybody how great they are and all the things they're great at. Paul says, listen, I I could do that, but I'm, I'm not interested in that. I want to boast about my weakness because I want to make Christ look lifted up. I want to make Christ famous. Biblical leadership is always modeled as a model by our Savior Christ, who is a servant leader, Isaiah 53. And unity in a church flows out of humility, led by our Savior Jesus Christ, who humbled himself that we might be saved from our sin. Listen, whenever there's disunity in a church, whenever there's churches upset, I can almost guarantee you it's stemming from a lack of humility. I would say 90 some percent of the time. Pride has raised its ugly head, being worried about whose name is getting the claim of to fame. Usually disunity is led out of that. The Apostle Paul says this to the Philippians in chapter 2. You guys know this passage. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What is Paul pleading for? He's pleading for unity in the church. And what do you say? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. And how would that change your church? How would that change your workplace? How would that change your marriage? If you looked at your spouse and you said, you are more important than me, 
Stop elbowing your spouse, okay? So, <clears throat> yeah. Let, verse four, let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. How do we do that on a day in, day out, moment by moment basis? Guess how we do that? Once again, what does Paul point to? How we think, how we think. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he wasn't a clutcher. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did Christ do? He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Guess what he did? He humbled himself and he, be, he becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My prayer, here's my takeaway, and I'm gonna close with prayer this morning. My takeaway for you this morning is as you feast on Christ, that we would not adopt the mindset of the super apostles that made it all about them, but we would adopt the mindset of Christ and when we have the mindset of Christ, Christ, by the power of his word and by the power of his spirit, he molds us into humble servant leaders. Husbands, what does it mean to, to lead your home? It means to humbly serve your wife. Fathers, what does it mean to lead your children? It means to be the lead confessor of sin. Every once in a while when I'm yelling at my kids, I say, you know what your biggest problem is? It's your dad. He's the problem, right? You're just like him, uh, you know. Man, and once we realize, man, I'm the biggest problem. Elders serve our church as Christ serves his church his church and his bride. Small group leaders, humbly serve your small group. See them as your flock of people that you're in charge to nurture and love and take care of and stay awake at night in prayer and in toil and anguish as you humbly serve them. Anything that is under your leadership, we are to lead the way Christ humbly led his church. And if you want to boast, you want to say, man, here, let me, let me, let me exalt, let me boast about something I do. Boast in your weakness. Boast where you are weak. Because as we're going to see next week, man, when we're weak, our God through Christ is strong in us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. And uh, I start with me, God. Um, I pray that you would make me the lead confessor, the humble servant to this wonderful church that you, you've allowed us to be a part of, Coastal Community Church. Father, I pray for the leaders, the ministry leaders right here at Gloucester Campus, God, 
as we nurture this one-year-old church plan, God. And we are grateful for what you have been doing, Lord. And it takes sacrifice, and it takes time, and it takes uh, rolling up our sleeves and doing the hard work to nurture and grow a church, God. But God, it is what houses the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only hope of the peninsula. It's the only hope of our culture. It's the only hope of the world. And so what a treasure you have given us to house the gospel. And so help us to do that humbly in order to make Christ famous. And Father, in specific to Gloucester, Lord, we are, we're beginning to pray about a new tool to do ministry, God. I pray for the leaders here. I pray for the body here. I pray for the elders as we get together and we pray over the next month and that you would make it clear when in unity and in wisdom and God, that you would give us the insight of what is the next step to make Gloucester campus continue to grow for the cause of the gospel and to continue to grow in health and in unity. And may we do that with all humility because we worship our Savior who wasn't a clutcher. He didn't consider equality with God something to be clutched or held on to. In fact, he humbled himself. And so, God, we humble ourselves knowing you're the God that takes care of exaltation in your timing and in your way. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.